Actually, you have to stand for the whole sermon. I'm just kidding. Sometimes the craziest thing someone could say ends up being true. I read a story about a British lady. I don't know her name. It was uh, protected anonymity issues because this is from a British medical journal. Her name, uh, her initials are A.B. In 1984, she was sitting at home by herself in London reading, and she heard a voice that said, Please, don't be afraid. I know this must be shocking for you to hear and to hear me speaking like this, but this is the easiest way I could think of. My friend and I used to work at the Children's Hospital on Great Ormond Street, and we would like to help you. She thought about her kids because they mentioned a children's hospital, her kids were fine, and so she, she dismissed it. And a few days later, the voice came back, same voice, and the voice said, to help you see that we are sincere, we would like, to, like you to check out the following. Gave her three pieces of information, she followed up on those three things, and they were correct. So she immediately made an appointment with a psychiatrist. She was convinced, she told the psychiatrist in her own words, that she had gone mad. The psychiatrist prescribed some medicine and the voice quit speaking. A few months later, she had gone on vacation to continental Europe with her family and the voice returned, told her, go back to England immediately. There was a problem that would require urgent treatment. She got back to London, the voice gave her an address, and her husband, trying to convince her that it was all in her head and put, her, put things at ease, drove her out to the address, and it was the tomography department of a large hospital. The voice told her to have her head scanned because she had a tumor in an inflamed brain stem. She went in to see the physician. She had no physical signs of any problem, no headaches, no problems focusing, no problems with her speech. So the physician noted in his report that a hallucination told her to have a brain scan, and he ordered a brain scan. The scan showed a two and a half inch by one and a half inch tumor in the membrane of her brain that required immediate surgery. She woke up from surgery, and the voice came to her one more time during recovery in the hospital and said, we are pleased to have helped you. Goodbye. Now, my guess is, if my wife were sitting at home reading by herself and she told me a voice told her these things, I would probably think the same thing that that psychiatrist and that husband and that physician and that person doing the scan thought. This is crazy. That was 1984. That was written up in 1997. Thirteen years later... And as of that writing, no further complications. Because sometimes the craziest thing that someone could say ends up being true. Like, if we're being honest, Jesus. He said some things that are crazy. Like, the first will be last, and the last will be first. Tell that to Bill Belichick tonight. Or it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. If that's true, I'm in trouble. Or if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Or 
blessed are you when you are persecuted. Or, like the story I want to look at today in John chapter 8, if you have a Bible and want to follow along, Jesus says this, before Abraham was born, I am. That might be the craziest thing a person in Jesus' day could say. Now, before we get to the passage in John 8, 48, we need to understand this is actually the end of a story that begins all the way back in John chapter 7, verse 1. It's common in John, and we'll see it a few times in the passage we're going to look at, where Jesus says something to people, and they misunderstand what he's saying. If you've been reading through the Gospel of John with this sermon series, you've probably seen this. In chapter 3, Jesus tells Nicodemus something Nicodemus misunderstands multiple times. In John chapter 4, there's a woman at a well in Samaria. Jesus tells her a few things, and she misunderstands several times. And there are Jewish people and Jewish leaders who Jesus tells things multiple times, and they misunderstand. And the same thing happens here in chapters 7 and 8. If you back up to chapter 7, you will see that Jesus throughout that has been accused of being a good person, the Messiah, a prophet, deceptive, uneducated, demon-possessed. All of John chapter 7 and 8 are about Jesus' identity, and the key verse is chapter 8, verse 25. Jesus says in verse 24, I told you that you would die in your sins. If you don't believe that I am the one I claim to be, you will die in your sins. And here's the question. Who are you? Jesus. That's the question. Now, Jesus has claimed several things for himself. He's from God. I am the light of the world. He calls himself the Son of Man. What does that mean? He hasn't exactly told them yet. And if you've got your finger in a Bible there or in your app, skim down to verse 31 of chapter 8, and there should be a heading in your Bible there that says something like, the children of Abraham. And so Jesus talks to these people, and they misunderstand, and they say, wait a minute, if we're supposed to listen to you, and we don't, we're enslaved. We've never been slaves. We're children of Abraham. Apparently, these Jewish people had forgotten the book of Exodus. And Jesus says, well, okay, fair enough. If you're Abraham's children, then you ought to do what Abraham does. And they say, no, 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 we're not Abraham's children. We're God's children. And that brings you to verse 42. And the heading in your Bible there should say something like the children of the devil. If you're God's children, Jesus says, then you would love me. But instead, you want to kill me. That makes you not children of Abraham or of God, but of the devil. See what's happening? For two whole chapters, you have this interaction between Jesus and these Jewish people. They're going back and forth. Things are escalating. Children of the devil, that's a pretty harsh thing to say. Right? And we get to the end of this story, chapter 8, verse 48, to get this question, who are you? So read along with me. The Jews answered him, Aren't we right in saying that you're a Samaritan and demon-possessed? Jesus said, I'm not possessed by a demon. I honor my Father, and you dishonor me. I'm not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. I tell you the truth, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. 
Who are you, Jesus? He says, I'm, I'm one that should be obeyed. He has charged them with being children of the devil. And like schoolyard children, they say, I know you are, but what am I? Now, the accusation of verse 48 may be a little foreign to us, but it's tantamount to saying, you're crazy. Aren't we right in saying that you're a Samaritan and demon-possessed? The Samaritan was a sacrilegious, unorthodox deviant. It's equated with demon possession here. Only The only explanation in their mind for what Jesus says is, he's nuts. It's an insult. It'd be like if someone said something to you that you thought was stupid, you might say, if I gave you a penny for your thoughts, I'd get change back. Or you're so stupid, you tried to wake up a sleeping bag. Now, to be fair, to call someone a child of the devil is kind of crazy. But the irony is, these people are doing the same exact thing. And so Jesus' response is, I am glorifying God by doing this, and God is glorifying me. But that doesn't really get to our issue, does it? Who is Jesus? Then in verse 51, he says, if you keep my word, you will never see death. Your Bible may translate that word, keep as obey. If you continue reading John's gospel, Jesus tells you what it means to keep his word. Chapter 14, verse 21. They who have my commandments and keep them, obey them, are those who love me. Those who love me will keep my word. The access we have to the words of Jesus are... Scripture. And there's a difference between knowing and obeying. I'm afraid in church, so much of our interaction with Scripture is about knowing it, knowing facts, knowing information, but that's only a starting point. You actually have to execute to do something. Every class I teach at LCU, I give my students a syllabus. I upload it online so they have it any time, and on the first day of class, I go over it in detail. And I answer questions, and I carefully explain assignments. But just because those students know that information doesn't mean they've passed the class. They have to keep my word. They have to obey. They have to do the assignments. It's like the Super Bowl tonight. Who are you rooting for? Anyone rooting for Philadelphia? I'm a a Washington Redskins fan. I have a moral obligation to God to root against them. Okay, I see a couple of Pats fans out there. All right, go Pats. <laughs> That's like saying go Redskins, right? We're in the same boat. <clears throat> um, they've had two weeks to prepare, and coaches will go, go into meetings, and they'll watch film, and they'll talk to their players, and they'll have practice, and they'll walk through, and they'll go back and talk, all of it leading up to 530 tonight. But the players have to go on the field and keep the coach's word, or else it's all for naught. It's the same with Scripture, the words of Jesus. Many of us know a surprising amount of Scripture. Many of us know a surprising amount about Scripture, I would guess. Don't sell yourself short on that. But we have to act on that. That's what keeping means. That's what obeying means. Now, What kind of person can promise that? That if you keep my word, 
you'll never see death. I thought only God could do that. And so we're, we're maybe at this point beginning to get a bit of an answer to our question. Who is Jesus? Now, Jesus hasn't told them directly, but I think you can see what he's getting at. Listen to how the story continues, verse 52. At this, the Jews exclaimed, Now we know you're crazy, demon-possessed. Abraham died, and so did the prophets. Yet you say that if anyone keeps your word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Jesus replied, If I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My Father, whom you claim is your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. And if I said I did not, I'd be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. Now their response tells me that they kind of get what Jesus is saying. If you obey, you never die. Now except for God, that's a crazy thing to say. Everyone dies. Even the greatest Jews. Abraham died. The prophets died. Who do you think you are? You're crazy. Are you greater than Abraham? Because that's what it sounds like you're saying. See, they're putting pieces together. They're doing the math. They've understood a little bit of what Jesus has said, and they can't accept it as true. Now, Jesus' response, again, is a bit indirect. If I glorify myself, that's nothing. Of course not. If I elevate myself to the position that you say that I am greater than Abraham, that doesn't mean anything. People do that all the time, and we call them crazy people. Maybe you've heard of Arnold Potter, who was born in 1804 in upstate New York. Once he was a grown person, he moved to Indiana with his family and was baptized as a Mormon, became an elder in the Mormon church in 1840, ordained by Joseph Smith himself. Became the presiding elder of a church in Sand Prairie, Iowa. In 1856, another prominent Mormon, Brigham Young, called him to be a missionary in Australia. And on the ship to Australia, he said, he records in a diary, Christ entered my body, and I became him. And he changed his name from Arnold Potter to Potter Christ, son of the living God. After a year on mission in Australia, he returned to California, gathered a group of followers around himself, a flood destroyed his house in California, and he moved with his followers back to Iowa and spent the next 15 years preaching on the streets in a robe and leading weekly prayer meetings until in 1872, he told those followers that his time had come to ascend to heaven. And he led his disciples out to the edge of a cliff and he jumped. If I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. Right? I mean, that's what crazy people do. Jesus says, no, no, I'm not doing that. God has glorified me. And he begins to pin them down. The God that you claim as your God, the God that you claim as your Father, 
And so, follow the logic. If God glorifies Jesus, and God is your God and Father, then shouldn't you be glorifying Jesus as well? Instead of accusing him of elevating himself to improper heights? Well, the obvious answer to that is, of course, yes. It should be obvious for us as well to glorify Christ. To glorify someone means to recognize their status, their position, and honor them accordingly. Now, we could talk about this all day. This could be in another entire sermon series, Glorifying Christ. Let me just think out loud about a couple of things here, though, that might point us in a direction to thinking about how we can glorify Christ. Most of us have a job, right? Do you undertake your work ethically in a way that honors Jesus? Because it's quite easy to fudge our ethics for a variety of reasons. Trying to get ahead, make more money, please our boss. Sometimes our bosses order us to do so. Thinking about work and glorifying Christ, don't, don't understand that is any easier for me as a professor at a Christian university, okay? I could teach to inflate my own ego. I could publish books and articles to inflate my prestige. Maybe you're in school. How do you relate to other people there, students? Do you treat them as Christ would, as equals? Maybe you're retired. Are you maximizing that time in service to Christ? Or as a church member? I've been around church long enough to know that people get selfish at church. They get protective of their church. The church I attend uh, in Springfield, they were having a meeting, they had two campuses. They were trying to decide whether they would keep two campuses or merge back to one, all these issues. And there was a big meeting one night, lots of people there. And one of the things that stood out, there was an older lady in the back of the room and she had some prepared statements for this meeting and she stood up and I don't remember anything else she said except the first line of her prepared comments. She said this, I am the only remaining charter member of this church. Well, that told me everything that I needed to know about what else she was going to say. Are we glorifying Christ, honoring Christ in these areas of our lives? If so, I think we're a little closer to knowing who Jesus is, obeying Him, glorifying Him. But who, who precisely is Jesus? Look at verse 57. Now remember what he's just said. Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. Verse 57, you're not 50 years old, and yet you've seen Abraham? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was born, I am. At this, they picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. Now, again, verse 56 sounds some, like something a crazy person would say. Abraham saw my day. That would be like me saying today that Jesus saw my day and was glad. And if I were to say something like that, you might say something like what they said. You're not 50 years old. 
you might call me crazy. Because Abraham lived as long before Jesus as Jesus lived before us. Now, who are you? And we finally get our answer in verse 58. Before Abraham was born, I am. I am what? Or better, I am who? But Jesus just says, I am. A better way of putting this in English that captures, I think, precisely what Jesus is saying. Before Abraham was born, I exist. Not, I existed before Abraham was born. That's a different thing. Before Abraham was born, I, present tense, forever exist. Now, you may be wondering, what in the world does that mean? But that's not the issue. The issue is, who does that mean? And we have to look to Isaiah chapter 43, a passage that in its entirety, contrasts the gods of all the nations, the idols, with the one true God of Israel. And this God calls His people to bear witness to His uniqueness, just as Abraham had done with his trusting in and believing in and acting on his faith. Isaiah 43, verse 10 states this, You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am, that I exist. Before me, no God was formed, nor will there be one after me. Yes, from the ancient of days, I am. I exist. Could it be that Jesus is calling on the people of God in this story to bear witness to his uniqueness by equating himself with the God of Israel? Could it be that Jesus responds to the question, who are you, by answering in the exact same way that God himself would answer that question? I am. If so, that explains two things. One, how Jesus could call on people to obey and glorify Him. And two, verse 59, why they pick up stones to kill Him. Because for an ancient Jew, to say something like, I am, meant you were committing blasphemy. And so we find ourselves with an answer to our question. Who are you, Jesus? I am. And that leaves us with a decision. Now, Jesus has said some crazy things, admittedly, perhaps the craziest thing possible. So one way to respond to that is to try to execute him by stoning him, kill him, literally dismiss him as a crazy person. That's an option. That's a legitimate option. That's what these people do. And notice how Jesus relates to people who choose that option. He hides himself. He slips away. 
there's another option. We've discussed it a little bit. It's to obey, to glorify. And if I'm being honest, when I hear Jesus say, I am, that's crazy. It also happens to be true. And since it's true, I must obey. I must glorify. And so the question put to Jesus is really only the first question this story asks. Who are you? But the question the entire story is driving toward is this. Now that you know who Jesus is, who are you? Who are you?